right. Well, if you're not familiar with Dulos Discovery School, um, we've been a part, partner with them for a long time, since the very beginning, actually. The, the Wallaces and the Adams were really a big part of, of establishing that school in the first place, who've been part of our church. Um, and, uh, man, we've been connected ever since. We have sent dozens of trips down there. Hundreds of us have been down there to uh, engage with and serve at the school um, down there. And so uh, we'd, we'd love to encourage you to, as the rest of us, to get involved, and we will. We typically take a trip or two um, down to Hardwickoa um, each year, and so be watching for those if you'd like to be a part of that as well. Um, this is Joyce and Tim Pack, and they are the new Dulos ambassadors. And so you got to see a little bit about the school. I'm gonna let them have them explain a little bit more first. What does it mean that you guys are the ambassadors now for the school? Share with everybody what's going on there. We have. Uh become so excited in our three and a half years at Dulos Discovery School with what they're all about um, that when we finished our commitment there, we didn't want to be done. And so we uh, agreed with the board to take this message of this ministry that's going on in the mountains of the Dominican Republic across the country. We kicked it off in, in Tennessee. Now we're in Texas. We're going to go on to Southern California. We're going to end up making a circuit around the whole country because there's so much more we can do than we have been doing. We could instantly double if we had the support. Hmm. We're trying to get more uh, sponsors, as we'll say more about, uh, but we're also trying to recruit, continue to recruit uh, top quality teachers, professionals, and we may be an example to you because we lived 25 years in Kentucky. We raised four sons. We became empty nesters, and we began to pray, God, what would you have us do next? And he opened the door to go to the Dominican Republic. We never saw it coming. We could have never understood or believed just how fantastic that experience would be. And so those of you who might feel like that maybe you're on the shelf or that maybe you're too old or too young or whatever too is for you, uh, just understand that God can and will use you if you're willing. Absolutely. So what are the best ways? So obviously if we take trips, people can go, that kind of stuff. But what are some other ways people can be involved with Dulos um, right now? Yeah, we have a, a table out here. We hope that some of you will stop by and talk to us if you have any specific questions. But, but uh, <clears throat> when you can, you can pray, for sure. You can pray. And I, it's not a, a rote thing. We absolutely believe in the power of prayer. And we believe that is through the mechanism of prayer that will then, God will then turn your heart and steer you where he wants you to go. But we have... Uh, wonderful opportunities for professionals and for teachers. Uh, we have brochures that will tell you more about that. Uh, the pastor's already spoken about coming on service learning teams. You can read more about that in some of our brochures back there. Um, but there's all kinds of ways that you can, you can be of service. Could you, would you add anything to that, my dear? And that would be through our sponsorship program. We have about 70 to 80 students who do not have a sponsor right now. Um, so we are looking for sponsors to partner with our students, and that would be $150 a month, or if you want to do, to do a half sponsorship, that's $75. So that is a real need that, that we have right now, and um, I encourage you to come down on a team if you haven't already so that you can really see what it's like. Thank you, guys. So I'm going to ask Tim to pray for us. Um, and for God to bless the ministry we're doing and how we're involved with different mission opportunities like this. Um, and then I want to pray for them and for Dulos, and, uh, and then we'll jump into the passage. So, Tim. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, it, it, thank you. Thank you so much 
for this morning. Thank you for being able to meet all these wonderful people and the great welcome that we've received here in Texas and specifically here in Tyler. And Lord, we thank you so much for this church, for the heart that they have, for the world. Thank you for the love that's in this place because of you. Thank you how you've already stirred the hearts of so many to get involved and to make such a difference. And Lord, I just pray for our, this the continued work that you're doing here, that you would continue to, to just fan that into a flame and, and keep it strong here. Mm-hmm. And Lord, that you would connect your people to the great need that's out in the world. Help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and out into the wide world. And understand, Lord, that if we lean on you and trust in you, that you will use us in powerful ways. We pray for Dulos Discovery School. We pray for all that they're doing and can do and will do for the difficulties that they face there in the developing world. We pray that we could make a continuing difference for them in every possible way that we can. We pray, Lord, that you would stir the hearts of everyone in this room to pray how they might get involved in this and in other ministries. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be involved in your great rescue operation in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the packs and for the ministry you've called them to, to travel and to gain partners, um, to be involved in the ministry at Dulos. Um, God, I pray that you would continue to hold them uh, and the program and the school on target. That through all the different processes, through education, um, through discipleship, that what's happening is um, young men and women, uh, many of whom would never have the chance for this type of education, are getting that. Um, and are being raised up, uh, founded on the gospel of your son and how all truth comes from you. And um, Lord, I, just, I pray that you would help them to have um, great blessing in finding people to, to scholarship with them, to partner with them, um, to make this happen, that you would give them uh, safety and clarity and blessings as they travel around and, uh, and do this. Father, I pray that you would, as the school's name implies, that you would be cranking out bond servants of yours Um, into the world. Lord, I know that there's time coming, and probably it's here, and we're going to be needing these students from Hardwakoa to come to the United States as missionaries um, to tell people here about the gospel. And so I pray, Lord, that you're raising up missionaries even now in places like that to be prepared to come to this post-Christian culture to remind us of who your son really is. So I pray these things in in according to the blessings um, that your son offers us in his magnificent name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. All righty. So make sure when you're done uh, today, when we're done with the service, that uh, you stop by. There's a, they've got a table out there that you can um, uh, get to know them a little better and get behind the ministry that they're a part of as well. Um, in fact, as we discuss this, the, uh, one of the interesting things is as we're discussing this conversation about um, uh, the challenges and struggles, especially like in a place like the Dominican Republic. And, and yet our sermon series is going to be called, this, this little mini-series here, The Struggle is Real, as we engage with many of the things that we actually, as Christians, as humans, face and wrestle through and have challenges with and, and, and that kind of stuff. And immediately, especially after engaging with a school um, that is made up of half of kids who could not afford to go to that school and getting to go down there and meet these kids, our problems sometimes here in, in the Western world in the United States begin to feel kind of silly. We call those first world problems. So examples of first world problems, here's a few that, 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 you, might, uh, that you might be able to connect with, right? 
Um, uh, you got you to hate when there's still some cereal left that you don't want as much as the new cereal, but you can't open the new box until you finish the old box. I mean, that's just, that's tough. Here's one. Um, this is always a real struggle as well. Um, by the way, in doing the research, I, I, you, you're going to tell because there's like five of these because I got caught up in this whole uh, thing, uh, digging into this. The, the lady who apparently is in these, is, 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 uh, as I did the research, is like an Italian supermodel or something. So she's a perfect choice for the struggle being real, right? This is always a problem. Anybody have this one? Yeah. Hey, when that happens, right? Okay. This, this, I, just, I hate this. See? Yep. The, we, see, there's real problems that we deal with. I saved that one for last. That's the... Um, I, I just, I hate that. And so, now here's the thing, if, if we're not careful and appropriately, this is, this is why we're, we, we really do face challenges, and if we're not careful, we create, as we mock it, as sometimes we deserve to be mocked for our problems, uh, because many of our problems are, are very, very mockable and deserve. Sometimes we whine about things that we deserve to be made fun of. Um, however, that doesn't mean that the struggles we face aren't real. The, the symbol for the struggle is real, you may be aware of, um, is the T-Rex. And uh, he, he's actually the official symbol of the struggle. And so as, as we talk about this, however, sometimes the world thinks that we think that we don't struggle. The world thinks that Christians think that we've got it all together. That's what they, they look at us and they say we're hypocrites because we say we've got it all together and we're making all the right choices and we're so holy and we're so righteous and we're so whatever. And, and maybe, maybe, in fact, there are Christians who think that um, and they would be wrong. Um, but the truth is that's, that's not what our scripture teaches us. That's not what God has revealed to us, that that's the nature of reality is that we have it all together. I don't know what of that is because of the health and wealth teaching out there in the world today, that, that God intends for us to always be healthy and for all things to always go smoothly. Um, uh, I'm going to comment on this in a minute. I got the, the huge blessing. Um, let me just tell you, this is a, this is a rare blessing for, as, a, as a pastor. So the blessing of uh, being away on a Sunday and taking my family on vacation and, and going to do the, we'll, we'll talk more about this in a second, in the, the Mickey Mecca um, for all capitalists everywhere to go visit once in their lifetime. But this is a, uh, this, this experience of getting to do that, it's a huge blessing as a pastor to do that. Many pastors, so you'll, you may not know this, but many pastors are hired to preach 50 times a year, um, and they're not allowed to miss any more Sundays but one or two and uh, we're, we're here, the model of our leadership is that I'm only allowed to preach like 70, 75% of the time, and so, um, which, which is much healthier. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, it's much healthier to have other voices here. So it gives me the freedom to go and spend these time with the family and to develop these, some of these special memories so that my kids don't grow up resenting the church, which that would be awful, right? And so we don't, we don't, that would not be worth doing. That's, a, um, that's an awesome, amazing experience. That being said... Um, as we experience these type of things, as we face the, the challenges of, of traveling and, and, and the difficulties, we, we really are not living in Disney World. Um, in fact, what you discover is when you go, you take your problems with you, even to the happiest place on earth, right? It's, it's the happiest place on earth until you get there, right? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> well, you're messing things up for everybody. This, um, it, we face actual, real challenges and we really do. The world seems to think that we think, as Christians, that, that we live in this Disney Christianity world. That is not what we believe. It is not what the Bible teaches. It is not even close. 
the health and wealth mentality, maybe they teach that. When we're wandering around, I would tell the kids, like, come on, kids, you're just, you don't have enough faith. We've got to name and claim this fast pass. I mean, we want to, we want to get into this ride, and, and we're clicking the, the thing, trying to, you know, the app, going, click it again, click it again, click it again. Maybe we'll get it this time. Maybe we'll, you guys got to name it and claim it. You just got to, you're lacking, which, of course, is a joke. That's not, that's ridiculous. That, that, that's not how the world works. We don't just decide something, and then it just happens because somehow we've thought of it. That's, that's, that's silly teaching, and it's not biblical. Of course there's hardship. Of course there's trials. There are long lines that even Christians have to stand in sometimes, right? This is the reality of reality, and, and we're not somehow disconnected from reality. Maybe part of it is, as many of you grew up, maybe you grew up like I did in, this, in the mentality, and my parents didn't know any better, of, of kind of the, the uh, Sunday best mentality. Now, there's a piece, we've talked about that a couple of weeks ago, there's a piece of that that's healthy, that I'm going, I want to bring my best to God on Sunday. I mean, okay, as if God wasn't there the whole rest of the, the other 165 hours a week, but God, God is not demanding us to somehow have it all together. I actually think for many of us growing up in church, church was the original social media experiment, where you come to church, but you make sure first that, that there's nothing on the, t- before you take a photograph of your quiet time, that there's nothing messy on the table. I mean, right here may be a stack of dirty laundry, but as long as the photo only catches this, that somehow we have it all together, um, and everything's going to be just right on Sunday morning, that children are supposed to act act perfectly on Sunday morning at, at the threat of life and limb, and so that th- everything's supposed to be just, that that's the word we're portraying on Sunday morning, and it's just a lie. I mean, how sad that the, of all places we would come to church and lie through, through our actions and through our behaviors and through the way we would present ourselves. Um, that's unfortunate, and it's wrong. The struggle is actually real. Every, everything we face is here today. There are people today here who are facing everything that humans face, all of it just in this room. There's unemployment issues, infertility, bankruptcy, infidelity, handicaps, chronic illness, emotional problems, challenges and changes and transitions, pain, grief, brokenness, abuse, trauma, shock, assault, death, and destruction. And it's here every week. It's in our lives. We bring it with us week after week. And if not now, then maybe later. So here's the first Sunday after Epiphany. Um, If you grew up like I did, you don't know what Epiphany is. Um, And so Epiphany is the celebration of this fact. God has revealed that his son is his son. The revelation that Jesus came as God incarnate. Now at Christmas we celebrate that he came. Epiphany is the feast to celebrate that he has been revealed as who he is. And so some churches, the way that's celebrated is they they call it the feast of the wise men. That the wise men were the first non-Jews to get the gospel. It's for the whole world. Some people celebrate the baptism of Jesus when it was declared by God himself, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That moment, now this is, this is what's wild. This is, the, this is real. He came here. He actually came really powerfully, literally, historically as the savior of the world. He came to the mud and the sweat and the blood and the dirt. He came to all of that. And he, he felt and experienced all of that. For us, when we're in those, the mud and the sweat and the dirt and the blood, our lives can be and ought to be really powerfully, authentically, literally, and historically changed by the fact that God came near. So again, as I said, the capitalist journey, um, I, I went on the capitalist Hajj, where once in your lifetime you go and visit Disney World and, and to experience 
capitalism at its finest. Um, and, and it is, by the way. I, I, if, 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 you, if you're one of those people with a, a, you know, the government socialist mindset, like you need to go experience that and see what capitalism is capable of doing. My, my dad, when we would go visit stuff all around the country, he would constantly just be in awe. And we're talking about 30, 40 years ago. He would constantly be in awe and he would go, why would anyone think it's a good idea to fight us? Like our entertainment does things that the very best of their military can't accomplish. Like our fireworks shows are better than their artillery. Like why would they think this is a good idea? Like this is, this is the power of this. And there, of course there is an evil that can be involved in that. The worship of money, the love of money is the root of evil. But here you watch these two great powerhouses of entertainment, Universal and Disney, and they're constantly one-upping each other, and we are just the, we're just the recipients of the blessings of these two trying to do a better job to get our money from us, right? And so we, you go to this one, and they're like, oh, yeah, you think that's good? Watch what we do. Oh, yeah, watch what we, oh, yeah, well, and you get to go down there and go, look at what they're doing. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it truly feels magical. The technology nowadays is such that you go and you go, this is just insane that the people can pull this kind of stuff off, and, and it is cool. Now, let me tell you the new concept down there that's been going on the last few years. So if you've not been or if you've never been or whatever, the old Disney model was kind of this, this really cool sub-immersion effect. So you would you go down Main Street, and it's Main Street USA, the 1950s image, right when you walk into this kingdom or whatever, you walk in. But, but, it's, but it's not a full immersion. I mean, at the end of this road is a giant castle. So it doesn't look that much like 1950s America if there's a giant castle at the end of the... And so it's not complete immersion. It's like just kind of the sub-minimal version. And then Universal came along and said, yeah, we're going to take this concept of immersion and we're going to take it to a whole new level, and they create Diagon Alley and the, the whole Harry Potter world. And there's, there's places where you can go, where you walk in, and there's, you, you, there's nothing to give away the fact that you're not actually there. Like, there's nothing in the image, there's nothing in the scenery, there's, there's all that kind of, except for other people walking around looking like you, they're the only two people that give it away, that give away it's a problem. And when we went one morning, it was a little chilly, and there was almost no one there, and so we're walking around going... This really feels like we're, we're the only ones here. Like, this is the real deal. That's a powerful picture. And Disney says, oh, yeah, you can do. You think you can do that? Now watch us do it <clears throat> with Pandora, and then we're going to do it now with Star Wars, and we're going to create a whole immersive experience. And, and, and so you know I'm going to have a preachery uh, application to this, right, in just a second. Like, I'm working my way to a preachery point that I have. So here's, what, here's, the, here's the, 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 that preachery point that, that strikes me in the midst of that with what we're looking at in regards to struggle being real, Okay. I don't know about you, but it is my natural tendency to turn Jesus into a part of my life, to turn Jesus into an aspect of my life. So my life is messy. I know, you know, allegedly, according to some authors, women are like spaghetti and men are like waffles that all our lives are divided, our men's lives are divided into little, little squares that, that all that kind of I'm the spaghetti one. So I'm the, I'm the woman when it comes to this type of stuff. Like all my life is messy and it's all mixed together. I'm, I'm more like, you know, Magic Kingdom and that you're, you're, you're here, you've got a 1950s shop and you turn the corner and it's the Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's like all of that's, but, but I do that with my life. I have these little zones. Each spaghetti strand is its own little thing and they all touch and they're all interactive. But my natural tendency, my natural tendency is to make my relationship with God a piece of spaghetti in the mix of spaghetti, not the bowl. And see, that, that would be the immersive experience is that, is that the bowl, all the different parts of my life fit within the bowl of my relationship with God. 
And instead of going, I've got my family and I've got my business and I've got my, I've got church and I've got friendship and I've got, this, I've got, and I've got Jesus and, and that instead it would be all of this fits inside of that bowl. And that what we're going to talk about today, I think the natural tendency historically for us as Christians has been to say, suffering and Jesus don't go together. My hardships, my temptations, my failures, my addictions, my lusts, my whatever, they don't, that's totally just, that's an isolated part of my life from the bowl that is Jesus Christ, the, the God incarnate, who actually literally historically came and who we actually literally historically get to immerse our lives into. That's what he calls us to. That's the idea. That what's supposed to be is that, yeah, I'm experiencing all these different things in my life, but it was in the context of everything around. But the difference is, it's not a facade. It's not mountains painted to look big in the distance. It's reality. And that's what we're called to in this. It's, this is what I think we're going to jump into today and build over the next few weeks. Suffering is real for us. We really do. Sometimes we're culpable in that. Sometimes it's our fault. Our own foolishness, our own pride, our own sin is why we suffer. Our own weaknesses, our own failures is why we suffer. Sometimes that's why, that we're part of the problem. Sometimes our sins or mistakes from the past haunt us. We didn't learn from them. We're not growing in them. We're stuck. Sometimes we're just self-unaware. We just don't even realize it. People around us know. We just don't know. Sometimes our own here and now foolishness costs us. We all know this one. This is the, actually the easiest bucket of human suffering for us to understand. Why am I suffering? If you were able to go, oh, because I'm a fool. Well, that's why. Because I made a dumb decision. That's why. Because I sinned, and now I'm facing the consequences of my sin. Well, that makes sense, right? The problem is that's only one bucket. When we say, why do we face these things? Um, we face it. I've said before that part of the why I believe in Scripture is because that our, the Holy Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, laid out by the men and possibly women who wrote this down, they do not, not only do they not deny our suffering, nor do they sugarcoat it, they guarantee it. Back in John, you knew it wouldn't take me long to get back to John. Um, man, I love John. I actually am authentically a little bit nervous about teaching something other than John. I, um, I, I know we joke about how long we were in John. I think we could have gone twice as long and not even begun to pull all the wonderful value from it. Um, I hope you have been inspired by the book of John. I know I have been. Um, John 16.33 says this, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. These don't cancel each other out. Notice that Jesus is integrating these concepts right here together. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Oh good, peace. Whew. No more challenges, no more trials, no more tribulation, no more whatever. Man. Oh, wait. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. This is just a statement of fact. No, no. It's going to be hard. There are going to be trials. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be difficulties. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Oh, good. Overcoming the world. So I guess that's, that is canceling out what you said about tribulations, right? No, it's not. The truth is, these are not contradictory concepts. They go together. We can have peace even though we face trials and tribulations because he's overcome the world 
That doesn't mean we aren't still in the world. It doesn't mean we don't still face trials, challenges, all these different things. We do. That's guaranteed. In this world, you will have trouble. Matthew 6, 34 is maybe even more scary in some ways. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's almost more scary that Jesus so kind of haphazardly, flippantly just, yeah, trouble. Think of it. Can you think of anything less comforting than this? I'm really worried about tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, no. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today will be bad enough. (laughs) That's what he's... Oh, good, so I don't have to worry because there won't be problems tomorrow. No, 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 there will be. That'll be tomorrow's troubles. When it's today, then you can deal with those. Like, this is a crazy statement for him to say, about the most backhanded, uncomfortable thing that Jesus could say about this. I'm really nervous about tomorrow. Yeah, stop worrying about tomorrow because today's awful enough. That's, a, that's hard to deal with. I, I joked about and said, like, I remember a couple of times my dad um, helping me deal with this concept by me coming in and having uh, you know, some kind of pain in my hand so my dad would step on my toe. And be like, how's the pain in your hand? I'm like, well, now my toe hurts. Like, right, I fixed the pain in your hand, didn't I? Like, now you, now you don't have to worry about your hand. So this is a, that's a teachable thing to go. It, it, it's, things, are, things are really, I'm really struggling and I'm really worried about tomorrow. No, no, yeah, you're really struggling. Notice, he's not canceling out the troubles of today or tomorrow in this passage. He's saying you got to deal with it as it comes. That's the only way we can deal with it. By the way, therapeutic insight, you can't solve problems that you don't actually have yet. That's an important rule. You can spend a lot of time strategizing about it, but until the problem comes, you can't solve it. Nothing you can do is going to solve it. This is important. That's, what he, that's all he's saying here. It's extra scary when it's just presumed. Trials, tests, and even discipline, these are trials or tests that come from God. I mean, this is, this is and, and by the way, the Bible's totally open and acknowledging we don't like that. No one enjoys discipline when it's happening. We like the consequences of it. We like when we get good things from the discipline, but no one likes discipline. God loves us enough to discipline us sometimes. Sometimes we face hardships and trials because God is bringing them into our life to grow us up, to stop our whining, to help us realize the truth of the matter whatever that truth happens to be. As we engage with this question of why, why do we face them? Sometimes we face the challenges uh, of suffering, like why does God allow suffering? What suffering do we think he should allow or not allow? When should we face the consequences of our own foolishness or evil? When should we face the consequences of other people's foolishness or evil? That doesn't seem fair. That seems harsh. The buckets, all the different buckets that the Bible portrays for us that that evil and bad and suffering can fall into. Just realize, okay, so the book of Job may be the oldest book in the Bible. Some people think it's the oldest book. So here you have the story of a man who faces essentially kind of hell on earth for a few weeks or months of his life. Why? What is the trait about Job that gets him in the crosshairs of Satan? What was the one trait about Job? He was righteous. Listen, if one of the options could be, I'm suffering for no other reason than I'm righteous, then everything else is on the table too, isn't it? Why am I suffering? It could be because I'm a blasted fool and I keep doing the same dumb things over and over and over again and getting the same dumb consequences over and over and over again. That could be it. 
It could be, I'm so righteous that God has put me in Satan's crosshairs. That's a pretty wide options, don't you think? That's a pretty wide gamut of options there. So instead of focusing our attention on why, um, because here's the thing, when we try to offer up easy answers for why it doesn't work out, just quickly, you may know there's a story in the Bible where, where some people are complaining about the fact that a group of Galileans were, 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 had gone to the temple and were performing their sacrifices. And in the midst of performing sacrifices, apparently in the temple, as the blood of the animals was on the ground, Pontius Pilate had them executed so that their blood literally mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. And the people are really confused about this. I mean, the one time you should definitely be safe. God should... I mean, surely God is going to at least keep you from being arbitrarily murdered while you're doing a sacrifice to him in the temple. Guess what? Not so. Jesus' response is not to offer a tiny bit of comfort, not even the least. What he says is, why are you surprised by this? Apparently, recently, a tower at the pool of Siloam had fallen down and killed a bunch of people. Jesus references that event and says, do you think that had anything to do with those people's righteousness or unrighteousness? You live in a world where the righteous and the unrighteous suffer. Sometimes at the hands of evil people and sometimes because a tower falls down. Jesus never allows for easy answers to human suffering, which again, I think is understandable. It's hard for us. We don't like it, but I don't understand calculus. I don't understand astrophysics. There's a lot of things that I don't understand because they're beyond my understanding. It doesn't mean someone doesn't understand them. I just don't. Human suffering is like that for humans. God understands it. He gets how it works together. We don't. You try to explain to me the why of calculus? Yeah, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. I mean, you're pounding your head against a brick wall. I'm not going to get it. Um, math's not my thing. So this is a, that's part of that. This is what human suffering is like. So instead of focusing on the why... What if we spend a little bit of time focusing on the how? How do we face suffering? How do we face trials? How do we face difficulties? Again, it is a given that we will. Listen to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7, end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Here's what I think is fascinating about this, this ending of Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. is this. Both men in the parable here built a house. And apparently they were both happily living in this house. Everything seemed fine for both of them. Until what? Until the storm. Storms are coming. This is a part of what it means to be human, is to face storms. We'll talk more about this in a second. Is to face storms. Is to face challenges. Is to face difficulties. It's part of it. The question will be, will, we, will what we have built, will it stand? Well, it's going to depend on what it's built upon. What's it, what is it? This is a how question. It doesn't answer, does this question, does Jesus answer why there are storms? No. Wait, Jesus, why are they both facing storms? 
not the point. The point is, how should we face those storms? How do we survive those storms? And here's the crazy answer. When we, so the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking more in detail some of these. So the answer we're going to talk about today as we start this conversation is going to be pretty broad, but we're going to unpack different things. Like over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about emotional issues, anxiety and depression and worry. We're going to talk about conflict, flesh, addiction, busyness and rest. We're going to talk about brokenness and, and some of the different ways our culture faces these issues. So to unpack them more in detail. But today we start with the answer to the question, how do we face the struggles and trials in our life? And the answer is with peace. Now this seems contradictory. So looking at the definition of peace, peace, no conflict, uh, free from violence, tranquil. Um, obviously, if that's your only definition of peace, then peace goes away when there is violence. When tranquility is gone, when there is conflict, your peace vanishes. And the peace of the world, that may be the case, but we have a different concept of this. We have this, this as-if concept of peace. It, it intertwined. I'll give you two different concepts here. One is this as-if concept, concept of peace. It is that we live as if there wasn't violence. As if there was a... Con- now listen, this is not weird denial. I'm not going back to that clean up and look perfect type of mentality. That's not at all the case. We are in the midst of the struggle. We're in the midst of the challenge. We're in the midst of the conflict. But it is as if we're not because of our perspective, because of what we know to be true, because of certain things that we can understand, because of certain things we can see. It's not a fake happiness. It comes from the idea of the Hebrew word shalom. What Jesus speaks to his disciples after he's raised from the dead Shalom. It's the greeting that still to this day you would get if you walk around Israel. Shalom. It's more than just our idea of everything's fine. It is everything is fine. It turns out in the end, in the, in, from the internal and outward, that God is still in control so I can have peace. It may look like God's not in control. Like we talked about the crucifixion of Jesus. Man, how many of you were raised like I was on this idea that Satan was somehow winning, that Jesus was being dragged to this whole process? It looked like Satan's in control. It looks like the Romans are in control. It looks like the Jews are in control as they crucified Jesus. They weren't. At no point were they in control. Jesus was absolutely and utterly the master of his own crucifixion. It may look that way to us sometimes. We go like, oh my goodness, it's all crazy. And yep. It does look that way. It feels that way. It just isn't that way. And our perspective helps us understand this. This is the lighthouse picture that we talk about. I have some favorite pictures of this. Can you throw up just the first one? So this is a lighthouse off the coast of France that periodically gets hit with storms like this. And so, I mean, that's that's a shock. By the way, that's a tall lighthouse. And so here you have this massive wave crashing over this lighthouse. Now, the man who lives in and works in that lighthouse was there when this helicopter came because the helicopter came to take pictures. So this helicopter flies in for them to take pictures. Well, he's, he hears the helicopter and is worried that they're like trying to come rescue him or something, which is not what he needs. So he has to come out and check on them in the midst of the storm. There he is at the foot at the, of, this, of this storm. I love that his hand's in his pocket. I mean, does he look worried? I, I, I'm not there. Maybe he's terrified. But, but from this distance, he looks chill. 
doesn't he? I mean, there's a, there's a 70-foot wave crashing around the building that he's in. He's fine. This, the, is he in the storm? Yes. But he's not afraid of the storm because he understands the storm and he understands the lighthouse. He has a correct perspective on this situation. That he understands this is what's going on here. This is, this is like that for us. It isn't that there isn't violence. It isn't that there isn't conflict. It's that in the midst of the conflict, his understanding allows him to have peace. There is no peace except inside of the guy who works in the lighthouse. This is important. This is the internal concept. This is the other concept. And they really kind of dovetail is that this internal. So there may be external violence, but there's not internal violence. Again, maybe, maybe if you've ever seen a well-trained martial artist in the midst of a fight, man, there could be conflict going all around them. They're fine. They understand that they have a correct perspective of the situation. Internally, there is a tranquility that the outside doesn't make sense. That's why we're going to look at this passage where Paul calls that peace that doesn't make sense. Peace that transcends our comprehension. Or maybe you memorize it this way, peace that passes understanding that transcends that. Listen to this blessing of Paul. The Apostle Paul was a man who understood strife and turmoil. He faced it all. He was beaten. He was hit with rocks. He was hit with sticks. He was snake bit. He was shipwrecked. He had faced all of it. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, he says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. In every way, the Lord be with you all. Yeah, we make hard decisions. One of the toughest things about being human, especially one of the toughest things about being Christian, is when we have to choose between bad choices. There's, a, there's an unsophisticated model of Christianity that says, no, no, there's always a good answer and a bad answer. Good luck with that. Sometimes there's multiple good answers we have to choose between. That's hard, but at least it's nice. Then you have to choose between good choices and bad choices sometimes. And a lot of times you're choosing between bad choices and worse choices. And that's hard for us as Christians. It's always going to be hard for us. How do we face that? We face that with peace. With a peace that God will give at all times and in every way because he is with us. Last week, Paul McKenzie introduced Philippians to you a little bit. Um, in fact, you got to experience Paul in his natural plumage um, last week with his hat and his t-shirt, right? And so that you would recognize him on the street when you see him from now on. Um, if you haven't heard that, you need to go back and listen to it last week. Um, uh, he unpacked Philippians 2, 1 through 16 a little bit for us. This key passage is a foundation for us in the church, how we love and serve each other. Um, we, don't, we don't need a, a special way of engaging with that to write about that. We have it. Paul wrote it for us. It is a key passage. That's why we encourage everyone to, me to memorize Philippians 2, verses 1 through 16. I don't know if you know this, Paul, but in the, one I, in the version that's online, you actually said, like, if you memorize the book of Philippians, you get a shirt. He, he just meant church chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, which is hard enough, right, to memorize 16 verses, but you can do it. You don't have to memorize the whole, listen, memorize the whole book. Like, I'm, I'm telling you not to. It's a good book. But, but that's what we're talking about. Like, you, if you memorize that, we, we want everybody in the church to know that so that as we engage with one another, we can do that. If we jump over to chapter 4, under this context of how we struggle, look at this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say Rejoice. Joy be with you, Paul says. Now, as Paul said last week, as, as Paul McKenzie said last week, this concept of rejoicing undergirds 
the message, the theme of the letter of Philippians, that the participation in the work of the gospel is the theme. And that, and that this idea of rejoicing and joy undergirds that. From prison, Paul is writing this, let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This showing the restraint, being, having sobriety and avoiding ridiculous reactions. In other words, as Douglas Adams would say, don't panic. You could be this way because the Lord is near. We get to be this way. Trouble is near, but so is the Lord. Let not your, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, and he's going to keep unpacking this, when we're in the turmoil, when we're in the trials, we need to remember what we know is true and focus our attention there. This isn't a cure for depression. This isn't a cure for anxiety disorders. But even in the midst of the, of the most challenging addictions and, and mental issues, and we're, and we're going to unpack that over the next few weeks, even in the midst of the most challenging aspects of living as humans, when we focus our attention on the things that are good and right and true, rather than our own lusts, our own rage, our own addictions, our own flesh, our own whatever, fears, panic. It is a wonderful antidote to steal strength from the lies. Nothing but the truth is going to do that. Even in the midst of the type of issues that require therapy and medicine and things like that, even in the midst of those an important tool that we as Christians have is to remember there is a storm going on and that there is a lighthouse at hand. There is a peace that comes from God right here. It's right here. I'll show you how. We want to develop this habit. Even in regards to that, we think about it. We focus our attention on it. And this can make a big difference. What creates, this creates what Paul calls here the peace of God. We don't run from it. We're not, we, we don't have to be afraid of it. Isn't it ironic how one of the greatest fears we can have is of fear? That over time, anxiety, the fear of anxiety becomes our main source of anxiety. That is absolutely, that's what an anxiety disorder is in many ways. A panic disorder is. That's, is that we become so afraid of anxiety that we, we stay out of things in life because we're afraid we might be anxious. That, that is a, it's a perpetuating thing. Instead, Paul calls this the peace of God, that we could pray and engage with God and experience that peace. How? Well, what we focus our attention on plays into that. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable. See, you just thought this passage was about temptation. It's about more than that. It's about all of this. Well, when we're facing these moments, when you're angry, and maybe justifiably so. How do you come back from that and follow Christ? Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Focus your attention in there. It's a powerful tool. Focus on what you know to be true. Remember, there's a lighthouse, not just a storm. The trouble is at hand. And so is the Savior. We have to constantly remind ourselves of these things. We're not good at this. I'm not. Maybe you are. I'm not good at this. 
What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things over and over again. Keep doing it, and the God of peace will be with you. Do you see that? How do you have the peace of God? There's only one source for it. It's the God of peace. He intentionally puts those at the beginning and ending of this thought. You want the peace of God? You won't get it without the God of peace. You worship a false God? Guess what? No peace. You, we, we look to the God of peace to give us his peace. That's why Paul says over and over again, in Christ, he is at hand. This is where we look. We come back and back and back. It should be no surprise to us that we don't find the type of sympathy that we want from one another all the time. It's one of the ways we face troubles is together, absolutely. But there's a limit to that. You can't, you can't start there. That has to be an outgrowth. We're going to have conflict. We're going to bring more trouble to one another's lives than it's worth most of the time, right? That's what's going to be the case. When we face challenges and hardships and we can learn and grow in the midst of that and that, let that peace, that we invest in what really does matter in the truth. When, when Ginger and I have conflict, we face conflict, one of the things I have to remind myself is that we're going to be fine in about 30 minutes. Right now, we're passionately disagreeing with one another, but in 30 minutes, maybe an hour, we're going to be fine. We're going to make up. We're going to do well. It's going to be okay. So I, how foolish for me to invest too much in this 30 minutes to say things that I may have to come back days from now and fix, right? That's dumb. So instead, I try to focus on what is excellent and what is commendable. I focus on the God of peace. How do I live that out even in our conflicts? And she does the same. It's amazing how much. I'm going to teach you some about that in the next few weeks. But how do you, how do you, well, you look to the God of peace, and here's a huge surprise. He will give you the peace of God. Now, this doesn't cure you of being human. It doesn't take away the flesh. It doesn't dissolve all lusts and addictions. It doesn't, it doesn't make all fears just flutter away. It doesn't take away the big storm. It just reminds you of the lighthouse in the midst of it. And this is how we want to come back to it. So at, as we get done, as we're, we're, this is not a pie in the sky. This may not change the reality of the struggle, but it can affect change in us in the midst of the struggle. And that's what God's working towards. I wrapped up in... First service and John um, Redford Sr., who is a walking Bible, um, came up to me between the services and he was like, look at this verse that he said, literally, I was, was revealed to me in a new way yesterday. So I'm going I'm to close on this, this verse. Listen to this. This is, this is, I assume David, it's Psalm 31 writing. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen me in my affliction. You have known me in the distress of my soul. When we face distress in our soul, we are not alone. When we face affliction, it's not just us. God is at hand. This is where we start. I know this big picture, but this is where we start. There's not pie in the sky. Life can be really hard. Today can be really hard. At no point is God not at hand and his peace not at hand. So that's what we're going to pray for God's peace on us. Um, so if you go ahead and stand, let's just go ahead and stand I want to pray at the end of the prayer, if you, I hope you're wrestling with the Holy Spirit. I hope when you leave here today, you don't, it's not like, eh, it's time and we're done and you just walk away from this. I hope you continue to wrestle with this peace of God within the Holy Spirit relationship, your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So when you leave here and you go to lunch and you continue to talk about what it is to live and to have the peace of God from the God of peace. So I want to pray 
And, and then if, when we're done, if you need to come pray here or, or, or with somebody, or if you need to pray where you are, respond however you need to. If you've not been to the welcome desk yet today and you're a new person for us, a guest, please do that at some point. If you've, if you've been through the welcome home team and you're ready to join, then that would be awesome. You could do that during the invitation time here in a second. I'm going to pray and then turn it over to John and, um, and we'll be let out. Father, um, what seems appropriate now is to pray that you would bless us and that you would keep us, that you would make your face shine upon us and be gracious unto us, that you would lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace now and forevermore, that we would learn to live in peace even when we live in conflict, that we would be agents of peace that we would reduce the conflict, that people would look to the lighthouse and find a safe place because we know you. Lord, I pray we would, we would laugh at ourselves when we look anywhere but to the God of peace in order to experience the peace of God. So we look to you in the midst of it, Lord. Help our lives to be totally, um, totally wrapped up in you. Lord, that we would, our whole life would be in the bowl of your gospel and our relationship to your son. That that would be the, the fullness of who we are. And that all of our good things and bad things, our, our victories and our struggles, our sufferings and our trials would be found in you. We would face them in you. Father, you are at hand. Thank you that you are in your son's name. Amen.